Dress any dog that you've found on the street up in a Christmas sweater, and when you bring it inside the house of the Christmas party, everybody's going to say, that's an adorable dog. Let's let that dog hang out here for a while. Nobody's ever said that. I just made that up. But I think that's the way I feel about today's movie, Practical Magic. I love the actors. I love the setting. I love this plot. I love the story. I love the trappings. Gosh, do I just love the trappings of this film. But there's some sort of magic, if you will pardon the pun, that goes into making a movie cohesive and make sense and feel as though I shouldn't be asking any questions about it. It's like when you walk up and you step up to somebody and they extend their hand, you're like, oh, this person's going for a handshake. But if they're doing that thing where they extend their hand and then they open up both hands, you're like, wait, do you want a hug? Do you want a handshake? Do you want a, what, what, What's going on here? And with today's film, I wasn't quite sure whether we were doing a hug or a handshake, but I do know that as much as I disliked this movie, I really liked it, which now the onus is on me to feel like it's my fault for not liking the movie because I can't make up my mind. I don't know. It's a late 90s rom-com. It's, it's almost hard to completely dislike it. It has some bit of magic about it. So sit back, relax, destroy a beetle, and enjoy this episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. Welcome to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms, a spooky edition. No, <laughs> no, no, they're not, they're not vampires, it's practical ah, magic. I am, I am a witch. Ooh, spooky. One, two, three. Ah, ah, ah. Three witches, well, two witches and their daughters and their aunts, I think. Ah, who can count? Oh, oh. No vampires allowed. That's Twilight. This is witches. <laughs> oh, oh, witches. I get it. I get it. So what does a witch sound like, Ryan? She sounds like I'm one of those bad witches, but don't call me one of them bad bitches because I'm going to come for your soul, sucker. Gonna come to whole Rona. What is that? That's my, like rap version of if they did practical magic wait did you did you lead did you lead like that was just you laying it out that was just me freestyling that was your best freestyle you've ever done take that alexander hamilton (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean they do call them bitches though in this in this movie like little kids are like not cool these little kids got that b word going on remember did you ever used to use the word witch instead of bitch um because I know that was a big thing in the middle school nearby me. I went to a little private, like, Lutheran middle school. But... So in sixth grade, the most famous song at the time was the Thong Song by Sir Cisco. Our sixth grade teacher did not want us singing the Thong Song, and it was How stuck in all right? our heads. The Thong Song. So that's how it goes. So she suggested, okay, you can't say thong. So instead, I want you to say the bong, ba bong, bong, bong. Whoa, that teacher was square. <laughs> I'm just like looking back. It's like, you want us to sing about bongs instead of thongs. 
I don't think that's more appropriate. <laughs> this class is rated PG-13, not for sex, but for drug use. I mean, one is an article of clothing. The other is a receptacle of drugs. So I don't well, know. Well, one one could also, you know, if, if you were in you were sixth grade, you said? Sixth grade. You could have, I think I as a sixth grader, a very sheltered sixth grader would have been like, well, a thong is just like a flip flop. So that's what I thought. And then I saw that music video and then I was like, I had no idea. I had no idea underwear could be made like this. <laughs> I I remember vividly when I learned what a thong actually was because I was watching MTV's House of Style and they were like looking at this like bikini model and they're like breaking down the bikini outfit that she's wearing with cindy crawford and they're like and a lovely thong and it shows like her butt and i was like those aren't her shoes <laughs> <laughs> but, wrong, but you MTV. will notice you will notice that you know little known fact thongs look like thongs <laughs> yes and I remember also when I, I think my parents also knew more than I did because I was like, can we get some new thongs when we were at Costco one time when I was a kid? And my parents were like, yes, just quiet down. And they pushed you into a, a giant stack of sweaters. <laughs> so speaking of luxurious thongs, what's the movie today? Today we are watching 1995. Eight. Eight's Practical Magic. Yeah, give me some of that Nicole Kidman. Give me that Sandra Bullock. Give me some of that Diane Weist. Give me some of that lady from Greece. Stalker Channing. All right, stop. Stop, 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 stop. I'm the background music for the witches. Different kind of witches there, too. That's British style. This is American style. There's more sex in our... Witchcraft. I'd say wizardry. there's more sex in our witchcraft and a lot more ambiguity. Yeah. Like people people come at um Harry Potter for like being like, how does the magic work though, man? And it's like, how does the magic here work though, man? I would call this more an impractical magic than a practical magic, but we'll get into that <laughs> once you tell me a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. Ask about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Practical Magic starts with um, lovely narration from Diane Weist and Stockard Channing. Mm, Diane mm -hmm. Weist, who we saw in The Birdcage a yes, couple weeks ago. that's right. And was pointed out to us as a reminder that she's also Edward Scissorhands, well, not mother, but like adoptive mother or something. Right, she's the right. mother from Edward Scissorhands. She, um, she kind of plays Oscar winner. The same. She plays a similar kind of mom role all the time. It's just like what she's into is different. So it's like, oh, Diane Weist, uh, I see you have a new hobby. Yeah, it's witchcraft. Okay, well, what about this week? Well, it's topiary. Well, what about this week? I'm really into <laughs> politicians. <laughs> Yeah, um, there there are some Woody Allen movies where she's actually the sexy muse. Oh wait, is she Apologies, Alice? Everybody, if you guys hear my crying child, he's he's having a rough day. He hates witches. He hates it. Uh, wait, but is she, she is she Alice? No, um, Alice was ninety, and Mia Farrow played Alice. Oh, and that's right. Yeah, yeah, they had their controversies, but like in the <laughs> early nineties. Like bullets over Broadway with John Cusack, and oh, she's in Hannah and her sisters. She's like the screw up sister in Hannah and her sisters. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, this it's not that much 
like not that much time has passed between Hannah and her sisters in this movie, but yeah. she definitely makes the leap to like older aunt by this point in time, which points out some of the bullshit about Hollywood casting where it's like, okay, so you can play 29 for X amount of years. And then we're going to have you play the mother or aunt figure and nothing else until you're <laughs> like, dead. Um, <laughs> There's well, no other option. Same with Stalker Channing though. Like, I mean, they do a little bit more with Stalker Channing's makeup in this movie, I think to make her seem a little witchier and older. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like, I, I kind of liked Stalker Channing like, I'm not going to say who I fell in love with, but I was like, ooh, Stockard. Like, yeah, I was. The, the, I you thought, had some sultry eyes in this movie. It's like, ooh, I like Yeah, I, I think Foxy. Um, yeah. Okay, so. They, those m- are our two witches that are introducing the uh, world building. Just laying the groundwork again here. I, Robin and I got married. Ryan, my best man. Hey, there you are. Hey. How's it going? Um, on this island off the coast of Washington called Whidbey Island, where, and we got married in Coopville, which is where this movie was set or not set. It was where it was filmed. Where it was filmed so much. So that there, the part where we see Sandra Bullock's shop is the bakery that we all congregated at. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we basically lived at this, like in this section of this town for about uh, a weekend. I'll call yeah. it, it a long a weekend. Town. And, um, they actually, did you know, Ryan, they painted the entire town for this movie and they just left it painted cool yeah yeah so that it would nice, be like all nice white of them. Yeah. yeah so i had a little bit of like weirdness when i was watching um i i just kept imagining this being on the west coast because i'm so familiar with this location and it seemed like the west coast in the modern day but when we begin this movie in pilgrim times where there's like a you know everybody's got a buckle every everybody's got a buckle on their hat <laughs> and they're going to hang a witch um the witch being the ancestor of all the women in this movie and they like i'm like there's no pilgrims on the west coast like what are we doing here guys and like you know you think about it a little bit more and you're like well it's set on the east coast kelly duh but i just couldn't break away from the fact that i was like this movie seems to have its facts wrong yeah as far as i'm concerned this movie is set in super northwest washington but it feels like it Right. Yeah. Yeah, We're such Pacific Northwest people where we can't get over it. We're like, no, no, no. All right. Well, we're over it. And as the story continues, um, basically, they're going to they're going to burn her. Burn her. We have found the witch. Might we burn her? Burn her. Well, they're going to they're going to hang her. And then instead of letting them hang her and we get that she's like, you know, kind of this lascivious woman in town. She slept with all the husbands, but she seems nice and, and all. And, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of people mad at her because she's cool and actually a witch. Um, she jumps off instead of getting hanged and the rope breaks and she's all good. But then they kick her off to an island and exile her to an island. She's like, because this happened to me, I'm going to make sure that, you know, any man that ever falls in love with my family is going to die because... That seems like a good idea. She curses any, her, she any curses, man. She curses herself. She curses all of her future progeny. Proge, proge, progeny. 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 She curses the husbands or male lovers of her progeny. Basically, anybody that her progeny falls in love with will die. Will die. And uh, apparently, the I, I feel like the this family only has women. 
Like, is that kind of like strong, like Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks kind of DNA where it's like, we're only going to produce women in this family. So is this curse like just a spiteful curse where she's just like cursing men who will ever dare love them? Like, who's she getting back? Like, I, I <laughs> who get it. Who are you getting back at? Yeah, I get it. You're mad. I'd be mad too. But who are you getting back at if not like... May, like all of those men will die and yeah i mean great oh, oh no i got it i got it i got it what, what, what she's what? killing the men before they kill her back before ah, they before they go. can have it's a self-defense right but and maybe they should have used that tactic when it came to nicole kidman's boyfriend but we'll get there yeah well she would have to have loved him but here's the thing mm. like she would have to love him it didn't seem like our lady loved anybody that was trying to kill her though i think she loved them in a kate bush sort of way (laughs) (laughs) she was flowing through uh, forests it seemed a little bit more like regina specter to me and she you know made love against the moonlight kind of thing i think that's the kind of love that was uh, going around uh, uh, here. Okay. It wasn't like she wanted to start a joint IRA with them. She right. just was This you know. This isn't your grandma's love. This no, is no. This is dancing around naked in the forest kind of love. This is uh a dark light poster kind of love. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> um you know you can buy glasses now that are like just allow you to see in dark light basically. Oh, I wouldn't want that. No, I it depends it, on the room. Again, it sounds like you're cursing yourself. I didn't mean like any Room Raiders kind of sense dark light. I meant like the artwork that only can be no, seen. No, I know, I know. It's it's pretty it's pretty groovy, I would say. Her yeah. love. Well, that that fast forwards us to um I'm just going to call her Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman's mom. Um who has her two kids and her husband and then she hears this beetle and the beetle tells her, "Oh no, your husband's going to die." And her husband dies and then we cut from that to Basically, the kids getting dropped off at their aunt's house and us learning that their mom died of a broken heart, which I feel means it's a code for suicide. Um, In episode three, Revenge of the Sith, the <laughs> same fate afflicted Padme Amidala. Right. OK, but so sci-fi I fantasy push against that. You, you think she actually died of a broken heart? I mean, there's magic here. It's possible in this movie with this magic that people can die by the curse of a beetle. I think a broken heart would do it. <laughs> Wait, was it the beetle's fault? Like the the beetle was there and whispering into her ear, like uh, so many snakes did to Eve and Adam. Well, Sandra Bullock she's just was like, looking. Kill the men. She cricket, was looking cricket, for cricket. the beetle. I think if she was figuring, if I can smash this beetle with my shoe, then my husband won't die. But she was too late. <laughs> Your Sandra Bullock sounds a little bit like your Christopher Walken. If I could smash this beetle with a shoe. I I can't help myself. It, like, basically, we watch uh, Nicole Kidman and um, Sandy they B. Were, they were dropped off as children. They, at, they at, their, at, their witchy, at their witchy aunt's house. It wasn't yeah. Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman playing the children. It was, that would be so great, though. That, was, I mean, they play 18-year-olds in this movie. And pretty, pretty effective, pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing what glasses and bangs can do to Sandra Bullock. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. same it. thing with Nicole Kidman. Like she's like a haircut can go a really long way for women in a way I don't think it can for men. Yeah, like and you it's... put you put a big 
goofy haircut on Paul Rudd, you're like, well, Paul Rudd is eternal anyway, but he's eternally 35. That haircut doesn't make him look 18 like you think it does. <laughs> There's going to be a day where Paul Rudd is the age of a grandfather and he's rapidly approaching that. And we're just going to be like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't play a grandpa. <laughs> um, you so, and Zac Efron are the same age. <laughs> so... Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman grow up with Diane Weist and Stalker Channing as the eccentric aunts that are raising them, and they raise them in the traditions of witchcraft. And the aesthetic is very much Tim Burton, diet Tim Burton. Yeah, it's more like, um, I would say it's Nora Ephron's Tim Burton. Precisely. Perfect. Right? Yeah, because it's it's not dark until it's really dark in this movie. Um, and it's goth sense is very like, man, this house would be really cool to, to live in. If I lived on the coast, it's hot topic by way of pottery barn. Yes. Yes. Very much. So there's like, I've been in a bunch of houses on the West coast that look like this with no witches in them that yeah. I knew about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we kind of get that like, and uh, young Sandra Bullock is really good at magic and maybe Nicole Kidman's fine at it. Um, Right. And then Nicole, or then the whole thing kind of gets kicked off because Sandra Bullock's character is like, I'll never fall in love. Um, Because I don't want to die of a broken heart. Yeah, I don't want to die of a broken heart and I don't want my person I love to die. And also... Uh, so I'm going to invent this perfect man and cast a spell and be like, I can only fall in love with this perfect man. And he has to have one blue eye and one green eye. Yeah. Yes. He, 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 he has to be a, a Australian shepherd. And he has to have three nipples. <laughs> it, yeah. Oh, Chandler. Bing. <laughs> and Nicole Kidman is like, I can't wait to fall in love. Live fast, die young is what I always say. She's like, uh, YOLO, witch life, hashtag witch life. Yeah. Um, and so you can just kind of... St- think of it as well have you seen sense and sensibility same sisters except they're witches or you can think like um let's take nicole kidman's character from moulin rouge um and sandra bullock's character from two weeks notice (laughs) yeah and then put them in this movie together yeah or yeah two weeks notice i guess i mean she's she's bookish she's really good at what she does you know yeah yeah Yeah. maybe some love potion number nine in there uh yeah perfect um So basically they, they all grow up and then, um, Nicole Kidman is out and about touring the world, uh, going from guy to guy and having just a great time at pool parties. She's dancing with like five people. She's loving, she's loving life out there. I just really like the PG 13 coding going on. It's like, Ooh, she's dancing with several men. Yeah. It's very, what could that mean? It's like, Ooh, she, she just likes dancing, Ryan. That's all. Um, and then Sandra Bullock, meanwhile, is living on the island with the ants still. And, ooh, she falls in love with a guy. Ooh, she's, they have a couple of kids. And I mean, don't like, get ahead of yourself, Kelly. We have to we have to really sell the experience because no, I mean, that's what happens. That's it like literally just happens like that. That's I know, what happens but you, next. But don't discount the the wizardry going on the witchcraft. We magic. don't No, We don't know this yet. Like we don't find out until later that the no ants no but out, the right? filmmaking the filmmaking is very deft where yeah yeah I mean it does show them like oh she trips oh no she looks back and sees the guy she looks she makes eye contact with a guy she falls then, in love with an apple farmer yeah and you Stalker, know, which is great Stalker Channing sees like ooh they they have a connection and then like a second later Stalker Channing's like 
excuse me, uh, what's her name? Excuse me, Shania Twain. And Shania Twain <laughs> from the heavens says, What is thy bidding, my master? It's the way It's an apple like this. Booming from the heavens is a needle drop of all needle drops, which is like 1990, 1998's number one hit single with Shania Wait, Twain's this song. Kiss, right? Yeah, and it's just like, this would be fine if it was 20 years after this song came out. Right. But this was like the it feels biggest like a music song video. that year. Because it they really montage does. it right afterwards, it just feels like a music video. <laughs> and basically, it, it becomes literally love at first sight for them, where mm-hmm. Sandra Bullock, having not even knowing this guy's name, just runs and kisses him, and it's very evocative I and sensual. I couldn't tell whether this was what happened in reality or whether they had actually had some semblance of a relationship, and then she realized she fell in love with him. I it took wasn't, it very literally that yeah. Stalker Channing did her magic. Yeah, and I, I kind of missed that a little bit at first, or I thought that could have happened, but I wasn't quite sure. Cause <laughs> no, I was like, how no, artistic no, brain, are you trying to be, Griffin Dunn? Your brain was like, no, 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 it, it, it wouldn't happen like that. You're not actually <laughs> doing this, are you? Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. And it's even more odd uh, in this town, because this town knows all these women are witches. And so like, there's this weird disconnect where it's like, like we're in a modern town in a modern setting, but everybody in this town knows that everybody's a witch and or that these group of women are witches and are real bitches to these people. We see it in like the beginning of the movie that um, Nicole Kidman as a kid gets like a rock thrown at her and, and these kids are calling her bitches and witches and stuff. And that's just not nice. It's not <laughs> one. It's not nice. Witches are awesome. Leave them alone. But on top of that, it it creates this weird world where everybody dislikes them because they're witches but they don't know that for sure but they all believe in witches right um what is that it's It's, that's it's a weird suspension of disbelief it's a it's like magic it's like if if you had a world where like magic it's magical realism except we at the same time want nobody to believe in magic but for some reason this entire town really believes in magic and but, everyone here wants to be a Vernon Dursley about it. It's like, yeah. can't you guys be some Hermione's here? Like, yeah. Doesn't anyone want to be curious? Except for the Apple guy, every single person in town is just like, don't even look at these women. Oh, well, there is the one. There, are, They do have some clients. That's how the witches make money. Because some woman came that's in right. wanting to like have a love potion made. Which is like, hello, lady. That's how it started Voldemort off. Come on. You don't want that. Yeah. Jeez. Like, read your... Well, yeah, no, this is 98. This Harry is 98. Potter. That doesn't come out until book five. <laughs> I can just imagine. This is what J.K. Rowling was watching. She was just like eating an apple. She's like, mm, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, yes. Fall, fall in love. Shania Twain happens. And then... Of course, the beetle comes back. Sandra Bullock's got this fantastic life. The town seems to love her. The guy loves her. Her kids love her. She loves her kids. Then she hears the beetle. Uh. And then now there's a Harry Potter chapter called The Beetle at Bay. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Not, only, not only do we see the beetle, and this also points out that so much of like witchcraft fiction is actually really everyone steals from each other because the beetle shows up and the the guy almost gets run over by bicycles, but then he gets hit by a right. truck, which is like real original guys. But, uh, and okay. In this small town where everybody moves super slow and everybody walks across the street, <laughs> the truck, how just did that like, truck, 
That truck's driving like 80 miles an hour to deliver some produce. How could you not see him? Ironically, that was his produce truck. <laughs> was it? Come on, no. man. <laughs> what, did the truck say apples, apples, and apples on it? <laughs> and the, the, the real tragedy was that the truck driver was way more disappointed about all the apples he destroyed than the human life. So we also, in, in addition to seeing the beetle, we also see a black dog in the scene yeah. where mm-hmm. the guy's going to get hit. And it's like, <gasps> it's like the, the Grim, the Mark, mm-hmm. the Grim. <laughs> it's like, look out, man, the Grim's there. <laughs> um, so he dies, the kids, uh, well, and Sandra Bullock has, from what we gather, set aside magic. Yes. She um, moves in back with her aunts, with her children, since... The husband has died, and she tells her aunt strictly no magic. Because but magic it seems like Sandra hasn't been doing hurt. magic for years. She's just yeah. been like, no magic. I'm done with magic. I want to live a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when we're kind of reintroduced to Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. the Kidman. The Kidman is she's having a good time with Goran Viznik. The second time we've seen Goran in this in as many podcasts. I like Goran Viznik much better in Beginners, where he's the gay lover of Christopher Plummer. Here, he's the hot guy. And yes, he's very hot, but he lays it on really thick. That's because he's an extra evil Bellamy. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Bellamy. Always the friend, but never getting the girl. But we're so right for each other. I know. This is just like my grandmother's China. I'm surprised. I didn't expect. I don't. You don't love me. No, I, I just have to think about it for a minute. Think about what? I wish she could just accept knowing how confused I am about all this. She will be mine. Oh, yes. She will be mine. Yeah, he is. I mean, I don't know if I call him. He's dirty hot. Yeah. Not not like dirty, but yeah. like ooh, dirty hot. I guess. Yeah. Like he Where, would break into singing TikTok, you know? Like What's no that? matter how many times he brushes his teeth, his mouth smells of cigarettes. <laughs> And tequila. Ugh. So uh, one of the sexy things he does with Nicole Kidman is that he puts a, a blindfold on her and he's like, ooh, let's be Christian in the middle, Grey. In, in, the middle, in the middle of you're a party. You're having a pool party. It's it, a pool yeah, party, and man. She's in the hallway. Like, it's not like you're in a room or something. It's just like he comes up behind her in a hallway and he's like, do you want to be sexy here? I am <laughs> I'm Romanian vampire. Is this, okay, I mean. He's not, okay. This, he's Bulgarian. This, he's. He is not magical. I don't know why. So this movie is based on a book. So like they're probably following the literature, but I don't know why in this story he is not a warlock or a vampire or something like, you know, there are just bad men that are bad men. I'm just I'm getting Twilight vibes. You can't you can't make him look like he looks without making him supernaturally evil. I know. I, I'm. I was getting Twilight vibes, where it's like this is a movie about vampires. I and would love it if he werewolves. was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it was like about witch witches, but then this guy who is apparently from Bulgaria, and they use the the term Transylvania in this movie. I'm like, yeah. Okay, so I'm just gonna infer a vampire. Not only that, but like, like the guy's got like can like a ton of like black skull candle stuff. In yeah, his he place. looks like a he, sexy pirate. Yeah, I I don't know how he's not magically evil. Anyway, so she apparently um, uh, she she before she goes home to take care of Sandy B, uh, she poisons. um, uh, I want to call him. uh, He's Jimmy. It's Jimmy. 
No, no, Jimmy. no. But I think I think he's more like Borlock because he's a boring warlock because he doesn't have any supernatural powers. Is that <laughs> is that anything? Sure, sure. Okay, Borlock, so Borlock um, Johnson. Borlock Johnson. <laughs> um, she's been poisoning him with a very, very little amount of uh, nightshade. Is that Ye- yeah? In order to make him sleep because he's way too sexually active for her sometimes, I guess. And if he doesn't sleep at all, vampire. Yeah. Right? Like, why isn't he a vampire? Was that written out? Anyway, so she goes home and (laughs) checks on Sandy B. Um, Oh, they also have a connection because they they did this like blood pact before Nicole Kidman left at one point in time where they mixed their blood together. Yeah. I'm going to give you guys a secret here. They already have, they already share blood because they're sisters. <laughs> That's my first impractical magic here. You guys don't need to mix blood. You're sisters already. <laughs> so that's silly. But at least she knows. And there's a sequence where she drives back to the Pacific Northwest East Coast where she like is just driving, singing a song and we get like the entire world kind of. She goes through several days in like, like in one a shot. Of 30 seconds. It's very and beautiful and evocative. It's really beautiful. I think some of the filmmaking in this movie is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, very, very beautiful. Really yeah. wonderful cinematography. But she's doing it to Joni Mitchell. And like the needle drop so far, it's like, boom, Shania Twain. Boom, Joni Mitchell. And it's just like, this is the compilation album of our eccentric aunt who feels deeply. <laughs> yes, yes. Like... Her rumors was definitely like her favorite album, but she mm-hmm. listens to more Stevie Nicks like solo stuff. Right, wouldn't miss yeah. Stevie Nicks coming to town. Not in her life. Would always not go to any life. Stevie Nicks concert of all the time. So she goes and takes care of Sandy, but then disappears again. And then um, we we eventually catch back up with her um, when she calls Sandy for help herself, and. Uh, Basically, Vishniak is a like uh, Borlock is a bad, bad man and hit her. And so Sandra mm-hmm. Bullock takes a flight and goes and saves her. And you can see that they're both there for each other. And it's fantastic. And then they get kidnapped by Borlock, who has them just drive while he's drinking. And I have to say, Ryan, as a couple of witches, as a couple of practitioners of the art, a couple of people with talent, should we say, they're really bad at taking out one bad guy. Right. There's a few tactical errors that I want to just bring up to them and just like in the review of their like dealing with Borlock Johnson. Uh, they so they were going to go in Sandy's car, but then Nicole Kidman's like, oh, no, Blood Moon. I, and she needed yeah, her, like forgot. charm. Yeah. I was like, OK, I'm not going to ask what the lore is, but I'm going to infer what Sh- the lore is. Sure. She goes to Jimmy's car, Borlock Johnson. And he's hiding in there and he like pulls her in and he's like, you drive. And he's not holding anything. He doesn't doesn't have have a gun. gun. He doesn't have a knife. That we know about. He can try to choke Nicole Kidman, but he's outnumbered and we already see. Well, they don't really, they don't really physically outgun him. And this is where a lot of women come in and they're like, you're assuming a lot of things on, you're putting a lot on these women to physically take out. I actually bought, I bought this because he, he not only has a big sense of crazy, this Borlock Johnson, but he is much more physically, not fit, but he, he seems a lot intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. But this is what happens. They, they have her, he has them drive where, who knows? 
they're driving somewhere. Again, he's just kind of crazy. And then he's like, hold on, pull over. I got to go pee and sing. You are all, you were always on my mind. He is dozens of feet away no, singing. I, so Robin, Robin brought up the same thing. They couldn't drive away because he was holding the keys. He was swinging uh, them around his hand. Oh, so there's that. I, I, okay, I missed that. I was like, drive away. <laughs> but but not only that, like even like like you could you could make a runner for it. But then he's got the keys and he could drive after them. Right, but they could split up. How would he take both of them out? Yeah, but they don't want to do that. Yeah, they, I know. Yeah, yeah. I guess in the moment it's a little bit tougher. But yeah, it was just one of those things. Like, (laughs) but but they are witches, right? (laughs) So they don't use magic. Um, The way they end up taking him out is that Sandy B poisons him with way too much nightshade, and um, he dies right when he's like about to kill Nicole Kidman because he's a murdering psychopath. Right. They're like, oh, we killed him, and this is impractical magic number two. They are witches who can literally bring back somebody from the dead, which we see them do in a couple scenes, but they can't disappear a body. No, 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 no. So it's they, one of the three rules. Three <laughs> can't make food, can't <laughs> can bring somebody back from the dead, can't disappear a body. I mean can't can't eat a spoonful of cinnamon. It it is silly, but it does kind of point to our modern mythological storytelling. We live in a post Harry Potter world where J.K. Rowling was extremely thoughtful of really building out the world so that it is sidecar to our world. Because if you take Lord of the Rings magic, it's like this is fantasy world. This is just how it works. It doesn't have to fit well, with ours. Uh, the, what we call it in the fantasy world is poetic magic. Uh huh. Right. And so you have um, like poetic magic, and then you have um, which is more abstract. That's like Gandalf. You know shooting this big ray of light at these dark creatures, you understand it on like a primal instinctual level, but you don't get how it works, works. And, but, but reading Lord of the Rings and watching Lord of the Rings, we always understand that he's not a God. We understand that he's limited. Right. I mean, he is slightly immortal, but for different reasons. (laughs) Right. But he can still be taken down attack by like a Balrog. Just one, just one Gandalf. Really? Just one. Uh, Um, what happens now, though, is they they decide we're going to drive from Tucson, Arizona, um, with this body in our trunk all the way to the aunt's house. And then we'll raise him back from the dead so that he's alive. Um, and we won't and this... get arrested. And it's not like you can't have some kind of spell to cast on any kind of investigator coming to your door, like a Jedi mind trick or what have you. No, right. no. Something. Like if like they like Nicole Kidman works on a banishing spell at one point in time. And here's the thing. I think that I I don't want to talk about how I feel about the movie yet. Okay, they raise him from the dead. But we are already warned by the ants because after uh, Sandy B's husband dies, uh, she's like, bring him back. Like Sandra Bullock's acting in this movie is so good. Can I? She's just so good. Yeah. And she's like, bring him back. Like, do this for me. Bring him back from the dead. I know you two can do it. And they're like, no, like we could. But. It, it's that tried and true magical thing. Like if you bring somebody back, they're not going to be the same as, as right. they were. They, but they don't need him to be anything special. They just need him to be alive so that they can't be accused of murdering him. Because right. even though it was in self-defense, it was like a long poisoning. And Nicole Kidman's like, yeah, like logistically, it looks like we killed him, <laughs> like right. murdered, murdered him. Right. 
And so he comes back from the dead and I love that they just immediately have to kill him again because he starts trying to strangle Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and he, he was screaming, be my wife, be, be my, my wife. wife. <laughs> you are tearing me apart, Lisa. And so Sandra Bullock kills him again. With so, a big cast iron. I thought this was yeah. a missed opportunity. Can I rewrite the movie real quick? Good. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite with your head. All right, Robin and I were talking about this. I think what the scene needed was eight or nine more times where he kept coming back from the dead and they kept <laughs> killing him. Because the movie goes black comedy on us where they're just making like jokes where it's like, oh man, this is the last time I'm murdering one of your crazy boyfriends. Yeah, and <laughs> this movie gave me whiplash a couple of times because that you don't get that it has that dark comedy tone. You don't even get that it's dark, really that dark until Borlock tries to kill Nicole Kidman. And it's dark guys. Like it's, it's really real. But then like in the next scene, they're like, Oof, Oh boy. That was, that was something, wasn't it? Um, so they bury him in the yard and they're like, well, that's that. (laughs) And no, it's not. No, no, it's not. Because then Things happen and Aiden Quinn shows up. Yeah, basically they they have a zombie problem now because now Borlock Johnson is just kind of like spooking around the house and the kids can see him and it's creepy. Um, And then Aiden Quinn shows up and he's an investigator from Tucson who. And it's just kind of like, did you guys not see that coming? Did you not work out your alibis? What's going on, you guys? Yeah, they're bad at it. They're 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 not only bad at magic, but they're bad at lying. And. Um, Aiden. Which you think they'd be good at lying if they're if they were witches in a town that hates them at this point in time. Right. This is very unwitch-like of them. Not that witches are liars necessarily, but these witches should be better liars. Yeah, I gotta conjure some lies, please. <laughs> but Aiden Quinn is like, ooh, Sandra Bullock, I, I think I I think I have feelings for you. And who can yeah. blame him? No, yeah, I who can blame him? Um do you do you think Aiden Quinn's like a a sexy so and so? What do you think of Aiden Quinn? I think the way that he looks you at her. You love me. The the feeling like. Go ahead. Sorry. The way that he looks at her very much gave me Luke vibes from Gilmore Girls. Yeah, he's kind of a Luke. Um, he's kind of a little vanilla for me in but general. He has this older man who is fighting for the right thing, who wants to do good in the world. And I got I got vibes from him that he was a good man, a good, honest I got, man. I definitely got that as well. And so he shows up and he does his investigating and they're bad at hiding it. And he almost has pancakes with him. And the kids figure out that this is Sandra Bullock's like dream dude, because I mean, he, if, ma- he can flip pancakes and he can if, if ride horses backwards. If these women are like persons of interest in this criminal case, he get real friendly with them. Yeah. Like, Cause this he, is very inappropriate as a investigator. He like they have the bad guy's car. They're bad at lying. And Sandra Bullock like never really says that she didn't do it because she can't lie to him for some reason. Like there's I I don't know this magical thing where you can't lie to the person that you love or something. It wasn't really explained, but Sandra Bullock can't lie to him for some reason. I also thought he was going to be magical or something like he was a witch hunter or something. Right. or a warlock hunter. And right. The other guy was, I don't know. Well, we find out that he has a green eye and a blue eye. <laughs> I really like And he flips line. pancakes. 
shaped like. I was born like... with it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I I wonder if there's a line that we missed that maybe she was like, and I'll I can never lie to him or something like that. Like, oh, maybe we... she did. Like I'll I'll never lie to the person that I love. Yeah, something like yeah. that. That would have been good. Rewrite that too. Put that put that in the rewrite. If that's <laughs> okay. if it's not already in there. Uh, it, it comes to a head. There's some like shenanigans with the town, and Nicole Kidman like does a little belly dance at a like school a PTA uh, function meeting where <laughs> the moms all hate Sandra Bullock, but they have. But to they hate Nicole. Her. They hate Nicole Kidman more though, even because more. She slept with all their boyfriends or something. Yeah. Oops. Um, but <laughs> oops, all Kidmans. Uh, it comes to a head where Borlock Johnson. Um, exorcisms not exorcisms but inhabits nicole kimmon's body he possesses her possesses body. her excuse me <laughs> took me a while to get there. he he takes her body out for a little exercise <laughs> he pe- possesses her body and we have some great 1998 special effects where his body like spiritually comes out of her for a second and then aiden quinn sees it and he's like what the damn hell and yeah because like, he yeah, he doesn't witches. he doesn't buy this whole witch thing no 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 he just thinks that sandra b's in trouble but maybe he'll help her and i can't yeah, help kissing like, you either. oh man and then they have kissing scenes and it, it comes to the head where the ants come together and sandy b comes together well because well, the ants left because they're like this is a mess the, oh there's this whole scene with tequila where they're dancing around being oh witches yes midnight and margaritas the, that's midnight a very margaritas. famous scene you gotta have it's the midnight so, margaritas it's so famous like i've seen that scene I don't even know where, but I've seen it a lot. <laughs> yeah, you got to have the lime and the coconut. Don't get it. Come on. Get, make sure you mix them up. Um, and, and the witches leave because they're like, they figure out that the girls brought home a dead body and they're like, you got to clean up your own mess, kids. Yeah. And then but they, they come back come in back. the nick of time because <laughs> Bo- we think that Aiden Quinn's killed Borlock Johnson for a sec. I didn't believe it for a second, but yeah. um, his... His star is a symbol of power, and he used it to ward off an evil spirit. Right, because which... it's the pentangle, pentangle, P- Uther Pendragon. What is it? It's the well, it's five... not. It's not a pentagram, but it's a it's a five pointed star, which yeah. would be within a pentagram. Yeah, and um, if this is a vampire movie, it would be a cross, but it's a witchcraft movie, so it's a five pointed star. You have to have and, your correct weapons. But I like this about the fantasy of it. Like this movie gets some fantasy things right, where it's like symbols hold power as long as you believe in them and um you he can't didn't believe bur- in it though he just had it in well his he no because he believes in the power of law oh and oh, so that yes. that is a magic in and of itself yeah it's the same thing with like the circle that they make later on where basically you think uh borlock's gone but no he's he's smart and he's just stayed in nicole kidman's body and then she licks her sister's face and it's like, oh, there's probably a Borlock in you. And yeah. then Sa- Sandy B punches her out and then the ants come back and they get all the biddies from the town to come help them make a circle. And they which exercise. Can we take a second? Yeah, go ahead. they get all the moms who hated these women. And again, I'm just Hate them. I'm just vehemently. trying. I'm just trying to understand. It's like, so do you think they're legitimately witches or do you think they're weird? No, no they must. They must think they're witches because they you, don't even look at them. And this whole time you've been stay away from them. You've been like muggle Puritans about it where you uh-huh, very much so. <laughs> and and then they're, they're scarlet lettering them with their eyes. Yeah. And then S- Sandy B calls them on the phone trees like, yo, my sis, she taken over by a toxic ex. Can you come help out? And they're like, we will drop everything that we're doing right this second. And we will run to you with we open have been- arms. I don't want to don't tell any of the other women I told you this, but I have been waiting for this moment my whole life. <laughs> and they all reverse course on a dime and are like, yes, let us exercise this toxic ex-boyfriend. 
And so they all bring brooms and they create this circle. And I liked this bit of magic. This is good magic where it's like we're going to trap this spirit within like this cone of love or whatever. And you can't break out of a, like a magic circle unless the circle is broken kind of thing. Right. And, it, you know, and, and I, I like all of this, but like the solution ends up being that Sandra Bullock holds her hand and that's what helps her get rid of the demon that's in her. It's the but power of love, you asshole. I know it's the power of love, but even at the end, Sandra Bullock's like, I don't really know how we did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't She's like, we held it. hands, but it happened. And then Aiden Quinn left earlier because he's like, I'm done with this. And then he comes back because he's like, maybe I'm not done with this. And he and Sandra Bullock have pancakes for eternity. The, the end. end. So that's practical magic. There's a lot to actually, I feel like, for us to like unpack with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm so glad we got through the story. So we're let's, gonna, let's take a break. Let's take our brooms over to Trope Talk and we'll talk about it there. <laughs> and we're back with trope talk it's like flock talk but with less geese yeah but it's pacific northwest so you know it's just d- d- wrong season oh oh i mean you could have your flock like your christian flock at your congregation and you have your puritans and you know so there, there might uh, be oh, there's sh- some might be flocks there's there, some actually. flocks there too yeah as yeah. well and you know we didn't see christmas here but i bet during christmas they flock their trees what how do you flock a tree that That's like when really you... dirty. No, 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 not like that. Um, like it's Greg not like Flocker it doesn't have to do with something? like hardwood or anything like that. No, no, it's it's when you um, like spray a bunch of white stuff on a tree. Okay. Um, like it's like snow. It's, sorry, it's going to look like snow. Flocking the tree means spraying your white stuff on it. Okay, let's just move on. So flocking a tree. We 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 our trope today is. Um, Fantasy. A flocked Christmas tree or flocking a Stop, Christmas tree Just simply refers to the process which many people around the world capture the real feeling of winter wonderland via a generous dusting of artificial snow. Stop. Stop. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> We're talking about fantasy in the romance genre when you're combining genres to make something new. The fantasy yes. romance. It could be fantasy romantic comedy, or it can just be fantasy romantic drama, or it can be Twilight, which I'm not sure what that is, but there's some fantasy and some romance if you want to call it that. That's just fantasy teen romance. So I wanted to bring that up because I feel like that's what this movie is kind of, uh, not not the progenitor of all, but it, it a lot of this movie, I was like, oh, okay. So Twilight was saying, yeah, we can we can riff on this. And some of Harry Potter also riffs on this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's, this came out in 2000, um, two, or 1998, so did Harry Potter. Yeah, but this this was definitely already grown up where it took several years for Harry Potter to grow up. I think, I think I would not be surprised any which way if Stephanie Meyer per- professed to either watching this movie or reading the Alice Hoffman books. Oh, Stephanie Meyer, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that there's a confluence of of ideas here where especially in the late 90s comic books, fantasy novels, um fantasy TV or, mm-hmm. or not TV like I mean kind of TV like with Buffy, fantasy finally became sexy enough for you not to make fun of the nerds at school for reading it. Yeah, yeah, and it got really sexy. Like I remember Angel being like 
David Boreanaz, whatever his name is, like being Boreanaz? very much a sex symbol in his own way. Like it was because def- he can't smile, <laughs> but it was it was still in the, the like fantasy camp. Like you had to be a Buffy fan first, but yeah. he was still one of the sexy guys out there in that time, and it was a, more of a sexy show. But then you had like Charmed and Roswell and you started fantasy started to get really sexy and like young and hip and it wasn't mm-hmm. just about like you know it wasn't about these aren't your daddy's dwarves anymore <laughs> right it was about these beautiful people who have magic and are magic yeah they're not only magical because they can you know utilize magic but ooh that bod is magic <laughs> so i wanted to i was watching this with sarah just there and i was constantly pausing she didn't even she didn't even watch this one i thought for sure you would have gotten her on the like the watching train of this movie she was very not interested in it and it's very curious because she adores sandra bullock but i think she kind of knew that it was kind of the reputation was it's kind of a flimsy fantasy movie when compared to much more substantial fantasy stories yeah i i think this so this movie is beloved yeah. There are so many people who love this film. Um, I think part of the reason is, is because it came out in the time that it did where you didn't really have a lot of this. Yeah. And and it had, and it, it dare I say, has its charms. Uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't try to bother to compete with other fantasy storytelling because, because it's, because but, of the romance and the coming of age-ness and character stuff that it's doing but it's not it doesn't want to compete with the dresden files or charmed or like i mean i don't know how i just know charmed was like the gilmore girls of fantasy shows back back in the day yeah let's talk about what works about fantasy romance and then what didn't necessarily work in this film i mean the one that i go to that is so flimsy but i really really like it is just like heaven <laughs> where Reese Witherspoon is a ghost <laughs> and she falls in love with Mark Ruffalo. And like the whole thing is that their, their love story is literally a spiritual love story. And it's really basic, but I really like this idea of metaphysical relationships. And it's not about a person to person thing, but sometimes connection can come through magical means and spiritual means and it can come on a spiritual plane not a literal plane and i think we as humans build and design fictional worlds that makes room for magic because in one way or another we're willing to believe that in our normal lives not that we literally have magic but there's something about it that we understand there's something about magic we understand or love magic Um, and love but i think we our suspension of disbelief towards magical magic in storytelling we're very it, it takes us like a second to be like sure yeah, yeah i i know what you mean and we never no totally yeah uh, but that but that's it i i think there's something when we fall in love can feel like magic and it can feel something supernatural and it can feel motivated by something that's not on a biological level but something different and when love is described in more literal magical terms in fiction we are already kind of like there we're already kind of there for it okay yeah i okay that was that was a lot for me to agree with because i you you said a lot of things and you don't have to agree with that but that's my that's what i come to 
I, I do. I do. Especially what you were saying at the end where it's like sometimes love can feel like magic mm-hmm. where it's like, why does this exist? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Like wh- why? I mean, you know, we can we can science it biologically and be like it is um, we are inclined to feel this way so that we can survive and procreate maybe Mm -hmm. but like even if that's not you know one of your desires you can still feel love and um and like losing someone can feel like the whole world is tearing you apart and so i think it feeds into the fantastical element because fantasy is very dramatic as well yeah right yeah i completely disliked um are uh, the what was the just like heaven. just like heaven I, I, i'll um, just say it didn't work for you but i would you say that's what the movie was trying to go for and it didn't hit the mark for you that it was trying to be a metaphysical love story in a very um simple rom-com setting because I, yes. I think that's yeah, what it's going mean, for it just didn't work but, for you yeah well i mean I don't want to just talk about that movie though. I want to talk, I want to talk about the broader sense of fantasy and romance, Mm rom-coms, et cetera. Sometimes you've seen a million love stories, right? Mm -hmm. And you get that, you know, this person falls in love with this person at the end of the story, they're together. Ta-da. I think fantasy throws a bunch more roadblocks in it because it says, this is the world as you think it is, but actually the world is different. And it, is going to add some like Romeo and Juliet Capulet Montague-ness to this story because there's like the real world and then there's the magical world. Yeah. Um, or there's also like if we can tap into some inner truth within us and find the magic within us and in or- like in order to access it, then we can be our most true selves. And that is the self that we want the person that we love to fall in love with. Yeah. Right. And so I think that is one of the more powerful things about this genre as well. I think the fantasy genre helps us understand things about people and shows us advantages that we haven't been able to see it before. And fantasy is that kind of help up to see it in a different way. Because Twilight, the metaphor is um, dumbly obvious of young men can't help themselves and you mean young women well no but like edward cullen when he gets a whiff of bella he's like and he has to have her because he's a but he's so old (laughs) but but it, it it tries to explain that young male sexuality and it paints it in this light of like oh let me explain it to you in vampire and this is how he is i read that movie way differently i thought it was far more about like not i mean sure i guess that that instance but i feel like it's far more about bella falling in love with like something that is dangerous and that's what i mean because he's a vampire (laughs) right right but it's not about like him being a young man falling in love with a young no no not that he's a young man but he is played by a young man and he looks like a young man and that's what's going on uh, uh, Edward Cullen is a stand-in for dangerous young men that women find themselves falling in love with. Sure. The Jesses that, yeah. of the world out there. and <laughs> Edward Cullen as Jess. Yeah, and, and it's it's trying to just kind of like, for for you and me, we're kind of understanding the, the female perspective of that because when we watch Twilight, we're not really relating to anyone in that movie, you know? Like, kind of we relate to Bella, but we don't really relate to being 
and Edward Cullen in the same way that I never relate to being Jess. Like, I, I, I can understand this phenomena of like, why do you go after the bad boy? And then I watch a movie like Twilight. I'm like, I think I'm starting to understand you. <laughs> it helps me see things. But for, for young women, I can't infer this for them, but I'm, I'm thinking that it's helping them work out these weird, complicated emotions of why do I like this kind of guy? Sure. Some, some, yeah. I, yeah. For, for, I, that is what fantasy does best. It uh, allows us a, I think it changes our vantage point, but only so much as like, it's easier for us to talk about a hard subject. If there is a lens that we're looking at it through and it's not being shoved in our faces. And sometimes that touches us even more deeply. Mm hmm. But anyway, let's I, I want to talk about what works in a movie like this, mm-hmm. which is a fantasy movie. Like, why does a fantasy movie? How does a fantasy movie work? Um, one of the one of the main things that you need to do is say these are the rules, even if you don't explain them fully. You say these are the rules of the world and we are going to abide by those rules. Right. That's very important for like a reader or viewer of fantasy to to grok with in order to like enjoy a piece of fantasy yeah if they care at all about the project and like about time is a really good example of that uh where it like lays out the ground rules here are the rules Mm -hmm. here's the boundary lines have fun and like it it gives us opportunities to grow storytelling with these interesting confines right exactly this movie, to me, kind of falls apart because they didn't care about that enough. Mm-hmm. And and I can I can see being somebody who doesn't like really, they just want to go have a good time and watch this movie. And and I I I'd say I could recommend it to people who are just like I just want to go see a Sandra Bullock movie where they're witches. Like I can sure yeah you'll probably like this movie if you don't really care about like things making sense per se, but me as a lover of the fantasy genre and as somebody who's getting more into fantasy romance stuff, like there's this curse right Mm -hmm. on the family. And the whole thing is if they fall in love with anybody, that person will die because of the curse. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it doesn't happen to Aiden Quinn is he says, well, you know, you have to believe in curses in order for them to work. Oh yeah, that guy's screwed. Like, <laughs> I mean, how is that yeah, going to break the curse? If you, if you think about it longer than ten seconds, like, like I, I don't know if, like, maybe at the beginning when she was casting her spell, she was like, if this person is ever real, then he'll be protected from the curse. But I don't remember that, and this. That's what I mean where this movie doesn't really care about those things. It just whiffs by them because part of that is the filmmaking where as beautiful as so much of this movie was shot and it was so classically 90s in its uh, cinematography. Yeah. The editing was slapdashedly all over the place yeah. where it was just like, we're going to go from here to this scene, to this scene, to this scene. And I'm not going to connect any of the dots grammatically. Yeah. And it frustrated me to no end. But like... I think the like when, lore of this movie doesn't need 
is not thinking about being consistent. I think the lore... If I could remake a movie, I'd want to make, remake this one because I think the plot is fantastic. Right. And the, the lore is so like pre-Harry Potter, pre-Twilight, where it's right, it's right in this year where all the fantasy authors, whether it was really pop cultural like Harry Potter or Twilight or something way more um, deep entrenched in fantasy if it's like Buffy or Angel or Charmed, they made the lore very consistent or they kept retconning it until it became consistent. Right. And, and stuff like the, um, all the biddies coming over, you know, I sure. Like, let's say I accept that all these women who hate them are like, you know what? I'm not doing anything with my Friday night. Let's just go be (laughs) weird at this house. They aren't told what to do by the witches right. know what they're doing in order to accomplish this very scary thing that these straights are doing. Right. right? They're, they're just like, hold these brooms, connect them. And then um, they don't even say repeat after me. They just start chanting, but they don't say like, don't break the circle. They don't say like any of these important things. They're just like, do this thing. And we'll guess we'll do it for a short amount of time. It's, it's like they're like they're witches and that's important and magic is real and wonderful and, you know, but don't care about it. I think the main thing that I'm getting from this movie is that it's a movie. Let's disregard the source material and the intent behind the source material because we don't know. But this movie feels like it's written. It's a fantasy story told by people who aren't interested in the fantasy genre. They don't care about the genre itself and contributing to that genre. They're only interested in telling their story about these two sisters dealing with a toxic ex. And fantasy yeah. is a good jumping off point to do that. And because it, it really is. Like the idea, this is another reason why like fantasy and romance works well together. Because you know that ex that just keeps coming. Yeah. Right? That won't leave you alone. That is just insane. Now imagine if... Even if you killed them, they kept coming after you. Yeah. Like, that's a perfect metaphor. This movie has it in spades. But I think you're right, where the filmmakers were like, look, we have this IP for this novel. We're very interested in making this because it's a very popular book. And we are more interested in the fact that it's a rom-com than we are that it's a fantasy. And I think that's not bad, but when you have a whole subject and you say, but this part of it doesn't matter as much, but it's initial subject was like, it, it was so intertwined. Then I think you, you lose something in the final product. Yeah. Because I think, uh, I'm trying to think of other fantasy stories where the fantasy is not the point. Um, but, but it's, it's just like kind of sidecar to it. And like Harry Potter is fantasy through and through, but it's, also very much a coming of age story and that's very much the point it's not just a fantasy story and same but the two are 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 weaved yeah they work hand in hand but if you didn't have Mm -hmm. the coming of age stuff it would just be kind of a basic you know witchcraft and wizard story right but if you didn't have the fantasy stuff it would just be a really basic coming of age story. yeah it'd be a dry you need both of them and same thing with Twilight. If it's just about this girl, Bella, who moves to town and meets this guy named Edward Cullen. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. His family's been here for a bit. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, but if it's just, if it's literally just about like these vampires vamping about. Okay. 
Okay. They're in the Pacific Northwest. Not much happens here. And I, it's I, that dramatic. I feel like there's a lot of B, 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 B movie fiction where it is just the thing. And like Dresden Files is a good example where it's like it's a detective story. It's a fantasy story. And both parts of that genre are done really well. And that's what you and Sarah right. really like and Robin really like about those stories. Well, we we do, but like where the first book is kind of like that, each subsequent book builds a broader world where there's more reasons to care about it. Like there's far more romance, for instance. There's far more like, you know, stuff talking about like politics of inner cities. And it's it's stuff that you don't get into until like it really leans into it. But when it does lean into it, it balances it. And I think balance is important. And that's kind of what you're getting. At. Yeah. So I think I think you're fair to say this movie doesn't quite work because it doesn't try hard enough with its fantasy genre and you need to take more responsibility storytellers if you're going to invoke a genre as hallowed as fantasy then you got to pay respect to that use of it and if you're not going to like treat it with um seriousness and respect as storytellers and actually think about what you're saying with your genre conventions then do better <laughs> like here, we here. deserve better right here here i we deserve better this story deserved better yeah like this is a this is a great world that you're constructing it there's sadness and state like i don't the stakes aren't that crazy but like the 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 world deserves a hand that wants like this world to continue in people's minds after the movie but as soon as the movie's done i'm just like I guess Aiden Quinn's going to die in a couple of years. <laughs> so I think I hear I think here's where it gets interesting and here's where it might get a legitimate defense but not from someone someone like me, but I am still going to try and I'm going to tr- You're you're going to play the devil's advocate. <sighs> I'm going to try It's so spooky. I'm going to try and witness for this movie and witness me. Witness. And it came from me having to pause the movie several times and ask interrupting Sarah who is watching a, another show on her phone and I'm like I need to ask you some questions <laughs> I need you to talk to me about being a woman she's like okay again here we go again <laughs> wait why, why what did you not infer about this movie because you were a man so I have to talk this out it might take me a second to get here but I think there's something very unique about this film that doesn't necessarily make it a good movie, but I think it makes it a noteworthy movie and needs to be a part of our canon, if only for a cultural signifier that it is. And so I just need to get there, and I don't know how long it's going to get me, but I think just hear me out. Will you, will you hear me out? May I approach the uh, bench, sir? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, eventually, I'm going to have to go take care of it's my It's not going to take me too. an hour, but it just it just might take a circuitous route to get there. This story has an aesthetic, which is boho chic, witchcraft, pottery barn Small town. mixed with Hot Topic, you know, like we said before. I don't. I mean, Hot Topic is... Not Hot Topic, is, but Hot Topic the, mixed the on, the, pottery The barn. only Hot Topic thing is, um, is Borlock. Yeah. He's very hot. He, he is a manager at Hot Topic. <laughs> He's the regional manager. Um, For sure. The, there's something about the, the setup of the movie and these characters and the world building. Don't worry about lore for a second, but just worry about the world building of the metaphor of what that means, of these women be witches and they're judged and frowned upon by society. And I... Th- 
I th- because they're they're different. They're living in a non-conventional way. Right. And I think there's something pop cultural out there currently where women who refuse to conform to the way that they're expected to behave, their their avatars are the witch. And that is like that is the like fantasy figure that represents them. I I think that exists because of its origin, where if you were living, you know, in an unconventional way, you are called a witch. Right. And so it's almost like a reclamation. Right. And this and that's not to say that there aren't real witches who practice um, witchcraft as like a part of their religion, because that's also true. Yeah. So I'm I'm going more towards the pop cultural sense and how it works for the general public of women watching the story and how they relate to this story. Right. And it's 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 invoking the the mythical figure of the witch as a woman who refuses to be tied down by society convention or anything else. They will have their power and they will not be controlled. They are the controllers. They are the masters of their own fate. And then as soon as Sandra B decides I'm actually want to live a normal life, she stops practicing her magic and becomes normal. A normie. She conforms. Yeah. And then tragedy. Which strikes. means that she can't use her magic as well. Right. And so so there's this confluence where in order for Sandra Bullock to live her best self, which is both a slightly conventional life, but also being herself being a witch, society must change. Yeah, I don't know how to integrate what you just said into the theory I'm coming up with. So I'm just going to put that on the table and put it in a, a nice bow on it and say, let's come back to that. In a yeah, second. put it on a table and put a bow on it. <laughs> um, so I was watching this movie and I was thinking to myself, aesthetically, this movie is a very girly movie. Did you get that feeling that you were watching a very girly film is a very feminine film, if that makes sense? Uh, I mean, the okay. midnight margarita I, scene. And I don't mean it as a pejorative. I don't mean it as a pejorative. I, I, know, you, I know you don't. Um, to, to me, that the this, this film um, dripped of the feminine, I would say, because the like most of the characters in it were women. But there's like this very female gaze of like, ooh, Jimmy. He's a bad boy. He's dangerous. He's hot. It's no, Jimmy. I don't think that's. I don't think that's what the female gaze is. <laughs> I think. I think. I mean, that's why I feel a, like he's framed. Don't you think? Like, like one or two times, like we get that Nicole Kidman thinks he's sexy. Yeah. I don't. I don't ever think that the camera thinks he's sexy. Oh, I do. I I saw him as a kind of sex symbol of the film, a, a du jour of like t- here's today's sex symbol. As long as this movie is thinking about it he's the sexy man i don't i didn't read that but um go ahead with your theory so i was watching this movie and i'm like this movie is really girly like that was my read on it like the midnight margarita scene it's just trying to be like conveying the joy of dancing around at midnight getting drunk with your aunts kind of thing and Mm -hmm. there are other really girly movies that i would proudly call really girly movies that i love to death like the devil wears prada where it just luxuriates in fashion and female fashion and seeing this woman like um take take her career and do well and go mano a mano against meryl streep and we're, we're there for it and we just love that movie or like chocolat which you know is 
made fun of in I Love You Man as being a girly movie, but it is an awesome movie. It's a great movie, and who cares if it's girly per se? But this movie was like, this movie feels girly, and I don't like it. Why don't I like it? And Sarah kind of explained it. She's like, those girly movies that you just brought up are girly, yes, because they deal in things that are traditionally girly, like female fashion or um, something else like that. But the experience of the main character is still a universal experience because we see Anne Hathaway in Devil Wears Prada just try to do really good at her job, and that's something everyone can relate to. It's not a girly thing that she's going through. It is a universal Mm -hmm. thing that she's going through. The experience of the characters in this movie is not a universal experience. It is a feminine experience because Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman that they get to be witches is a is a fantastical element for the women watching it because being a witch means you now have power. You live, Sarah was explaining, she's like, when you walk home at night and it's 2 a.m. and you're walking home, are you ever worried about your safety? Are you ever worried that you're going to get hurt? Are you ever worried that you're going to be in a situation where you feel powerless? I'm like, no, because I'm a six foot three guy and I've never actually felt that. She's like, I'm a small woman and I've always felt powerless in situations like that. I don't think I can just go take a walk whenever I want in the middle of night because I have to worry about my safety. Having this story about these women who get to be witches gives them the power back that we've always wanted to have. And we get to see that on screen. And that's the catharsis for us is that's what we get to see. So it's not a universal experience we're seeing them going through. It's a feminine experience where yeah. the magic of that brings the power back. And it's something that at the core of who I am doesn't relate to. What's good about storytelling is that I get to now understand that experience. And, and that's where the empathy comes in. We're like, oh, I can understand Sarah a little bit more. But there's something at keeping me at bay from getting into what this movie is because I myself do not identify as feminine and I'm not relating to the primary need for this film to exist. Okay. So what, but what is, what is your, that's, that's why I think this film works because the fantasy is not there to work as lore or genre, but it's to speak to an experience. And I think in a certain way, it might work for some people on that level where it doesn't matter if it if the magic system makes sense or the rules make sense or not. It's, it's, it's pursuing a deeper-seated feminine experience. And I'm not sure. saying that's that it succeeds in doing that, but I think that might be the intent behind it. And I think that might, might be why certain that's, people that's, love yeah, it no, so no, much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, I don't want to say obviously, um, because that was something that you discovered in this movie and that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, that this movie is, is like one big metaphor for, you know, female empowerment versus lack of power. But this, that part of this movie worked for me. Um, like them dancing around the, the table and like this this reminds me of other movies that I liked as a kid like Anne of Green Gables or um Babysitters Club. I fucking love Babysitters Club for some reason as a little boy because the quote unquote female experience wasn't that different from what I wanted where I did just want a whole bunch of friends to come have a sleepover at my house mm-hmm. and to get into like little you know 
tiny adventures that weren't like filled with bloodshed and bikes. Um, yeah. So my assessment is I wanted to like this movie, but I found myself not being able to get into it and I feel a little guilty. I was like, I, it's just not for me no, guys. I don't know what to tell no, you. I, I don't think that's true though. I like, sorry, I'm not going to spend that much time talking my way into what I think about the movie. Cause I, we just don't have time today. The, I think the movie was poorly made in lots of parts and so it didn't help you believe that even if this is about a local experience of being a woman and, and you know, what it feels like to be powerless or full of power, I think there are far more movies that could get you into that experience, uh, regardless of your six foot three manhood, mm-hmm. that are just made better. Mm. I think that's the reason why this movie doesn't succeed in those parts for you. Yeah. That could be like Sarah's whole whole point is is perfect. It's it's something that I also like, I think, is a a good assessment of this film. But just because it has something that it reaches for doesn't necessarily make it well made. Mm -hmm. It just means that it will resonate, which is what I think you're saying. Like this movie resonated in the time because it spoke to universal truths uh, for women. I think where we see it work is when we can get into it, like a movie like Wonder Woman, where I was sitting next to Sarah in Wonder Woman at the theater and she was crying when she saw all those women come out on horseback and fight a war. And that's where the filmmaking was fantastic and the empowerment was there. And but that's but that's again, that's not you getting into it for the the female sake. That's you enjoying your wife enjoying something. But I also enjoyed it on the level that she was, too, where I got to see feminine empowerment and I saw it in a different way than I've seen a hundred thousand other war scenes where it's traditionally men on horseback. I sure, I got sure. the difference. I was like, mm-hmm. this is it's not novelty that I'm getting. It's it's that that thing that we've been needing. And I think, I, I, I still think that Wonder Woman is the success where practical magic is not so much the success. And they might be different enough where that's not a fair comparison. But I, I, I think I'm conceding to your point in that way where it's like, you're right. It could have done, been, uh, it could have been accomplished better and their, their, their ambitions could have been met. Cause yeah. Cause the message, fantastic. the, pieces all there even the scenes and the shots great but the cohesion that this movie lacked i think detracted from the power that it could have had for generations yeah and if it were made today i think they would have had a different set of writers and i think it would have been competing on a very different level i think they would be wanting it to be they would want to franchise it out where they wanted to have like seven sequels come out of such such a story like this and make make a more cohesive lore that they could keep expanding on and keep, you know, building out a franchise out of. Yeah. 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 Totally. I agree. Um, well maybe we can make that one day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I always feel weird because you come up with these things where you're like, I discovered something about, you know, feminism and this movie's really doing this. And I think that's amazing. And me learning that is great. And I'm like, I'm sitting over here like, yeah, I've thought that for a long time, but (laughs) I'm always sounding like um, that guy who's just like, yeah, cool. I guess feminism's fine or whatever. <laughs> no, I just have a lot of learning to do. I know. I do, too. I'm not going to I'm not going to say I'm a perfect. I'm not, not a I'm not a oh gosh. What's the opposite of a Borlock? 
um, Gandalf. A Gandalf, a an Aiden Quinn. So anyway, that's the movie. That's uh, Ryan's theory. I think it's a good one. Uh, would you recommend this movie, Ryan? I would recommend it in the sense of if you don't want to think about the movie that you're looking at, which, you know, that's what a lot of the films in this podcast end up being where it's like maybe it's not the most sterling made film where the writing's not super great but it's still fun enough and i think it accomplishes what it wants to on a very basic level but is not super pleasurable as a cinematic experience if you want to have a midnight margarita and just throw something on during your sleepover sure throw it on i don't care (laughs) but i my 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 star rating was two and a half stars, and I wrote on Letterboxd, I don't know, guys. It's just not for me. I feel exactly the same way. However, I am going to say that this movie looks exactly how I want a movie to look. Right. Yeah. It, it just has that 1990s sheen where... I think the the film stock was perfect. I think the set decoration was perfect. I thought the costumes were perfect. Um... I I would watch this movie again one day, even though I don't like it very much. Because of how well it's made. In the just because and how in its the look department. In the look department. I think the writing is it's so it's it's good at times, but it's such crap at other times <laughs> that it the crap stands out. Kinda kinda like a witch in a small town. You know what I mean? Well, if if it looks so good, then ask me the question. Would you give this? <laughs> I was going to say film, but I'm going to say movie. A rom-com Oscar. Yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to give it one and you're going to be mad because I'm stealing it from you, but I'm giving it best cinematography. No! <laughs> the ki- ah! The camera work is damn That's good. My screen. The camera work is damn good. And it just has this really rich filmic quality where the colors... It's unique, isn't it? The colors it? pop. There's a lot of, like, green grass with, like, warm red skin tones of, like, Nicole Kidman's red hair just popping against the green grass and the mm-hmm, white picket fences mm-hmm. and the house is And that beautiful. blue sky. There's a lot of blue sky in a movie set in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, <laughs> and it just... It looks so good. And it's just, like, I never was bored at the imagery because the imagery looked really, really good. So, A-plus cinematography. I was going to give this movie best roller coaster because, like, there is just such a a whiplash of different, I don't know, feelings that you get in this film where there's little girls and they're talking about, you know, what, what kind of stuff that you put in a, a thing and there's lookouts and, you know, there's a couple old ladies that work at the store that she owns and they're like, aha, you know, witches and stuff. <laughs> um, and then in like in the next scene, there's like Nicole Kidman, like licking the face of Sandra Bullock. And as somebody who's writing a fantasy TV series right now, I was just like, this is not too dissimilar from what I want to do, where there's like levity and darkness mm-hmm. in the same thing. Yeah. I, th- I think it works better if you set it up, though, yeah. because this movie kind of set up a very lighthearted film, which this movie was, but it made these dark moments just pop out at me like a scary 3D picture book. Mm-hmm. And... So I was going to give it best roller coaster, but I realized that that's 
not what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so I want to give this best house. Um, <laughs> I think this location is a fantastic house. It, it's now a like a bed and breakfast that you can actually visit and go to near Coopville. Why didn't we stay there? It's really expensive. <sighs> uh, we'll, we'll do it one day. But it is... Bar none that like it, I I think it it is if I had to build a traditional like Victorian style house this is the house I would want yeah it has a crazy staircase there's like a um a, 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 not an observatory it's it's like a conservatory it's it's that one in clue that's in the corner that has all the plants yeah. In it. <laughs> Um, a great kitchen, a great room for them drinking in. And I I don't know. I just loved the house. I loved it so much. And I wanted to live there in that way that Sarah feels about Nancy Myers houses. I felt about this house. Yeah. Or the way that I feel about the house in family stone. I want that house. I want that house. It's a great house. That's a great house too. Um, so yeah, that's those, those are our Oscars. Okay. Well, uh, do you have a question to ask me? I do. I do. And my question is this, who Shall thou fall in love with? I I do. Wait, no, that's not how you. Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love and love. I love you. I know. Man, Nicole Kidman's got bad taste in men. Ah. I'm not falling in love with her, but um, I got to really give prop to Sandra Bullock's eldest daughter, played by Evan Rachel Wood, I believe. Yeah. She curses this kid in town who calls her a bitch with the chicken pox. And later on, we see him (laughs) with chicken pox, which is hilarious and the best. But I think she gets that from her mom, and uh, I'm going to go with Sandra Bullock, because I think that she is loyal and, you know, good to her family. She's conflicted about her her family's values versus what she wants in life, but she's like, you know, she doesn't like lying, and she just seems really strong and beautiful, and she takes charge, and she rips apart that rosebush. I don't know. I'm falling in love with Sandra Bullock in this film. Yeah. I'm going with Sandy B as well because Duh. she's pure. I could have called that before we watched the movie. She's pure of heart and strong of skin. <laughs> and what? She's Wait. got you know thick skin. You know she's oh thick skin. I, I thought strong. you were saying she was. I thought she was saying she was. You, she was pure of skin, and I was like, Ryan, that's saying a little bit. <laughs> oh no, 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 not like that. <laughs> no, no, not like that. Okay, uh, okay. But you know, Nicole Kidman. You don't love her Aryan <laughs> no, no, no qualities. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, Nicole Kidman, as always, is playing a character who's just a little too much for me to handle. I, she, mm. she is that um, Marion of Sense and Sensibility. She is that Marianne. Marianne, not made Marion, made Marianne. Um, <laughs> she is that um, whoever her character is in Moulin Rouge, where she's just very sensuous, and it's like, I get it, you're 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 beautiful. She does a lot the of the same stuff in this movie, where she's like, she does the hurrah, <laughs> yeah. and she like messes up her hair in the same way. Oh, since we're talking about the two of them, uh, you talked a long time ago about uh, Anne Hathaway being a star. Yeah, yeah. Rather than like a capital A actor. Yeah. 
There's something about uh, Sandra Bullock's quality that reminds me of Tom Hanks, where she is kind of both, where she is a like a not only a star, but she's really good at being the every person yeah. in a way that I think is her strength as a capital A actor, yeah. even if she's doesn't would never think of herself as that self-important, maybe still getting star roles though still getting star roles whereas i think nicole kidman is a very serious actor and when you try to make her have fun and be silly in a movie i don't think it's something she can't do but like when they're doing the whole dance around the table in you know in her uh, drunken drunken tequila state i think she loses some of her power as an actor i think she it looks like she's that girl at the party who's looking at all the other people having fun and trying to copy them having fun. Do you, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? Well, I'm thinking about Nicole Kidman in that stupid Adam Sandler movie, Just Go With It. And it's just like, we're like, Nicole Kidman, what are you doing here? And she's like, <laughs> what are you doing here? She's like, watch this, you assholes. And she like out acts everyone in this yeah. really dumb movie. Uh-huh. But she's like the best actor. And it's not she's not slumming in that movie. She's just no. bringing the same ca- caliber she brings to all our other movies. And yeah, I, I agree. She's just um fantastic actress who is a bit of a star. And Moulin Rouge yeah. definitely uses her as a star. But it requires a sterling actress to play those parts. And I feel like after Practical Magic, she's not taking lighthearted roles anymore. She's taking hardcore actor roles. Yeah. And she's really good in like, remember when she's she's trying to tell the daughter about how Sandra Bullock loved her dad. And it's really affecting. And when she gets like picked up by Sandra Bullock, it's really affecting. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and it's just, sometimes it's hard for me to see her as less than serious. And I don't know if that's the onus is on me or it's on her acting, but I, I liked, I liked her a lot, but I just wanted to discuss the two differences in these characters where Sandra Bullock can go from super serious to super like playful in this movie. And I buy it on both ends. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to call, I want to make a new rule and call it the bosom buddy rule. Oh, okay. <laughs> because Bosom Buddies stars... Which, which um, hail to the late um, Bosom Buddy who just died. Right, so that, that's my point, and it got me thinking about it. Peter Scolari was one half of the Bosom Buddies, Tom Hanks was the other one, and Tom Hanks had his career, and Peter Scolari has his career, and, it, like, can I see a set of hands who knew Peter Scolari, like, by name and, like, had the same reputation as Tom Hanks? No, he, he did not have the star-making turn. But I was looking through Peter Scolari's like filmography. I'm like, man, the guy's been working very he consistently. Is a, he is a that guy, yeah. For sure. And he he has a lot of interesting roles in in his career. And I was thinking about what it would have been like for someone to like meet Peter Scolari at a party and be like, oh, and be really rude about it and be like, oh man, I can't believe like. It was it was both you and Tom Hanks in that show, and like Tom Hanks, you know he's a star now, man. Like, how does that feel? Like, you did the same amount of work, but like, it's totally unfair, don't you think? And I can my my head canon of Peter Scolari dealing with that situation is he would explain it like this: he'd say, "Well, Tom Hanks is a movie star, and he's a great actor, but I never wanted to be a movie star. I just wanted to be an actor." 
there. Well, I think what he'd say is, I was in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show <laughs> right. as Wayne Selinsky. Uh, excuse me. But, but I was thinking, like, there are things that Tom Hanks is not allowed to do. There are roles right. that he's not allowed to take. Nope. And Peter Scolari is the one who gets to do those things. He gets to play the interesting characters that aren't movie star characters and gets to have a more interesting day on set. Whereas Tom Hanks has to look like sullen in all of the movies that he's been doing in the past 10 years. Why? <laughs> Why? Why every single one? You know, like Bridges Spies, he's like, hold yeah. on, I have to look out a window very seriously. And Sorry, I, I have to I have to go watch this this guy who's become my friend over the movie die at the end. I know he's going to die. I'm just going to watch him go die. And like for Peter Scolari, he doesn't have to do that. He gets to like go be a day player and like get some really interesting material and go home. Well, not anymore, huh. but rest in peace. But he had the cool, cool storied career like that. So it's the bosom buddy rule. You're either the Tom Hanks or you're the Peter Scolari. And one's not more important than the other. Yeah, that's true. But also, I wouldn't say Nicole Kidman is Peter She's Scolari. not Peter Scolari, but she is in that. <laughs> she's in this weird wedge where it's like, yeah. it's not quite one or the other. Totally. Totally. I get that. I get that. I get that. I get that. Ryan, we had uh, a letter this week. Roll the thing. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. Uh, I got some well, well-given um, parenting advice from one of our patrons over at patreon.com slash romcom gents, um, Stephanie Simmons, who recently not only had her third child but uh is also a doula and uh she helped me uh with you know calming down and uh putting my kid to sleep the other night with uh, a little bit of advice so i just want to say thank you so much to stephanie for uh reaching out and being that friend indeed hmm. to my friend in need oh so thanks thanks so much stephanie it's always good to have support from parent knowledge people it is uh did we get any other support this week like uh did you we receive anything else in the mail perhaps uh uh from any of our friends uh no should i from have anybody who's not a friend no enemies any any enemies maybe well if enemies may it be then a train man it shall see <laughs> did that make any sense Yes, we'll say yes. <laughs> he he came to me, he rode on his train, and he rode it right through my house. I'm still cleaning it up. Is he the one that got your your son sick? Yes. He was like son of a bitch. He was like bah! and he sneezed on my son. <laughs> F you guys. <laughs> um and he only brought me an abstract. It wasn't even a completed essay. Mm, mm. And it was uh, a rumor of a thing that you're going to do, but it's still no, not no, published. no. It's 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 going to be published by the time this comes out. I haven't read it yet. No, you have to. We were going to lie. You were going to be like, it's a screenplay that you wrote. I am Sandra Bullock. I cannot lie. Oh, because you're in love with me. Yeah. Or you're in love with our audience. Or I'm just in love with Aiden Quinn, which I think is still good enough. But I know maybe that's maybe none of Aiden Quinn's love interests can lie to him. Maybe that's what it yeah. is. Who's his love interest in Benny and June? Um, somebody. Somebody. Johnny Depp. He's in love with Johnny Depp. Anyways, <laughs> what what is what is the thing that is currently published? Because it's the episode that's coming out now, and it's it'll be published by the time. The, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's just a screenplay is all. It's a it's a screenplay set to um, a song by Blossom Deary um, with, that's just kind of detailing my life uh, as a dad and kind of how I also, you know, love my wife and how it's hard sometimes when you have a newborn to find time to express that love. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a, a tiny, tiny little rom-com maybe. Well. I've already read it, even though I haven't read it, but I'm, You've read I'm it. speaking to you from the future. It's a great script. Uh, that's over at the Patreon. We have what? So, Ryan, are we back? You, you just put that in, in the future. Are we back? We're back. Are we? Okay, we're, we're back, back in okay. time, like Michael J. Fox style. That's, that's on the Patreon. We have weekly essays. You can read my film review roundup from last week where I looked at... James Bond, No Time to Die, French Dispatch, and Dune. Reminder to you all, please go see Dune in a movie theater. It's very important to me. It's, it, is, it is our generation's avatar. Our generation's avatar. You have to see it in a movie theater. <laughs> Um, you can also check out our November movie poll. If you are a patron, you get to decide what we watch at the end of every single month. Um, this month, it's all t- about T. Hanks giving. T. Hanks! Um, we are going to be watching a, another T. Hanks movie besides one of these four, but these are the four you get to choose from. Either Larry Crown, or as it says on our poll, the Larry Crown Affair. Um, <laughs> Splash, The Money Pit, and Turner and Hooch. Splash is winning by pretty much a landslide. So if you want to make sure that we don't watch T- Daryl Hannah naked then please correct it to turner and hooch because that's the one i want to watch i feel a little weird because i don't own uh splash on dvd and i feel like i should because splash is on disney plus but there's a scene where you see daryl hannah daryl hannah's butt but because it's on disney plus the powers that be at disney were like oh we can't see that are you serious? They digitally added are you serious they digitally added more hair to cover that's... up her butt Wait, she has a lot of butt hair? Not butt hair, but her hair from her head is hanging down so that it covers oh, up her butt. Okay. And we're all That's like... That's so dumb. We're all it's like, a butt. <laughs> show us the butt. Show us the butt. I don't even care, but it's just a butt. <laughs> even George Lucas is like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, like it, all the... Like the the people who corrected um, all of the guns in ET to um, yeah. to walkie talkies are like yes, way yes. to go, kids say censorship. So yeah, the go vote because we might have to watch the censored version of Splash, and you can either make sure that happens or make sure it doesn't happen. Please make it. The not other thing that you can do is check out our bonus episode, and we are on Gilmore Girls season two. Even though Kelly season has been two. watching so much Gilmore Girls that he's already on season four, so we should probably record our stop. bonus episode tomorrow. For we next also month. today, just this morning, went to the first pub trivia that I've been to in years. We went and competed in a Gilmore Girls trivia. Go! <laughs> uh, our team is. Team Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning was our team name. Classic Ryan came up with it. It was so good. Um, We were the only team of guys there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was one other man, and he was at a team of three other women. Mm -hmm. And so very proud. We were in about third place until the last round where we got nothing right. (laughs) Because we're in the middle of the rewatch. We're in the middle of the rewatch, yeah. And they they had a lot from season six and seven. Yeah. Yeah. 
but at the end, we ended up second to last because we bet all of our points on the last question. We had nothing to lose. But we got a nice mug out of it. Yeah, a, a mug with some Bible with verse a, on with it. With a Bible verse on it. <laughs> and some some tea bags to get that Jean-Luc Picard, you know, feeling. Yeah, it was, it was Earl Grey tea, and then uh, which is uh, Michelle's favorite tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Gilmore Girls, and then some coffee for Lorelai. Yeah, so check out those bonus episodes. We're going to go through all of Gilmore Girls. Uh, oh my gosh, there were no cell phones allowed, and nobody made one Luke reference. Maybe that's... Mm. Man, good catch. Okay, never mind. Good catch. Okay, so, and you cosplayed anyway, at to... Luke when you were at I, I did. We'll post that on our Instagram. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of Gilmore Girls, go check out Tickets Please Pod. Our episode with them about Gilmore Girls is probably either up or will be up. So that's it's another thing you have to look forward to. Yeah, go check out Alexa and Catherine. They'll, they'll, they'll welcome you over and with open arms. Yes. Next week, we're going to be doing the tie-breaking film. We're actually doing two films from our poll from last month. We did Practical uh-huh. Magic this week. Next week, it's Devil Wears Prada. And maybe I can get back into my theory of the feminine experience or the femme film experience and the differences. Yeah, you're at speaking hand. of it as if it's a theory that's not like confirmed <laughs> and just is. It's like, oh yeah, I wonder if this movie is going to talk to me about the feminine experience in this particular job. You mm, know, I wonder. Molly Haskell <laughs> has done some very wonderful film criticism on feminist film criticism, but I'm jumping in, you know, arms wide open. I think I've got something to say. It just is. It already <laughs> exists. We don't have anything to say. We're just a couple of doofuses. You're breaking no ground, sir. None. <laughs> Well, come check us out. It'll be a great episode next week. I'm really excited to see Meryl and just ask how she's doing. Another one with the tooch. The tooch. Love me some tooch. Wait a second. Has every single person in this movie been in another movie that we've watched already? Um, ha- you got Anne Hathaway, Meryl Streep, the tooch. Um, Adrian Grenier. Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Sorry. An- Anthony yeah, Bourdain him. is nowhere near this movie. <laughs> No, but that's Adrian Grenier. Oh, Grenier with his Grenier cheese. His group spent like that's thirty dollars on that Jarlsberg. Yeah, so we'll watch that next week. Ryan, I love you. I gotta go take care of my child. Okay, I love you too, and I love your child. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. Yes, so I had to take a second to help my son, who's got a lot of snot in his nose. And Frida Mom, Frida Baby, the Frida mm-hmm. line of products which make tremendous products for women who are about to give birth, give birth, have babies. They have a product where you put this tube up baby's nose and you suck the snot out of it with Yeah, we have that. <laughs> we have the same one. So we just went and did that. <laughs> um, you know, so we have that, but we also were given the one that is by them that is electronic. <laughs> yeah. Where you don't have to suck it. Suck, suck it! it.